Hello, and welcome to the Trauma and Mental Health Reports podcast series. We aim to share stories and knowledge on topics related to trauma and mental health with the community. My name is Promise Basura, and on today's episode, I sat down with narcissism expert Dr. Ramani Durvasula to chat about narcissistic parenting. Stay tuned to learn about how to identify a narcissistic parent, as well as how to go about healing from a narcissistic parent as an adult. Let's get into today's conversation. Thank you for interviewing with us, Dr. Ramani. It's my pleasure. Uh, great. Really happy to have you here. Okay. Um, so I just want to start with my first question. As you know a little bit, as I touched on briefly, we're talking about narcissistic parenting and kind of how to heal and cope with that as an adult. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to start by asking if you could touch briefly on exactly what narcissism is and what it looks like in a parent. Mm-hmm. Okay, so narcissism as a pattern broadly is a, a, is a pattern characterized by lack of empathy, entitlement, grandiosity, a person who chronically seeks validation and admiration, arrogance, difficulty with coping with any kind of frustration and stress. And because of that, they'll often lash out with rage. They're incredibly hypersensitive to criticism, but quite hypocritical because they themselves are very sensitive to criticism, but have no problem issuing it to other people. They can be quite controlling um, uh, and uh, very much care about the public, public image that they put forth. Um, they can be quite vindictive. You know, so those are the patterns we see. But the bottom line on narcissism, which is what's interesting, is all of these rather difficult, you know, grandiose, entitled, all these awful kinds of patterns are all really on top of a very insecure core. So the, right. the narcissistic person is deeply insecure, which is why they engage in these really antagonistic behaviors, even that can be quite manipulative as well, because they're always feeling like almost a sense of threat from the world. But instead of being connected to that, that vulnerability, instead of being connected to their insecurity, they constantly defend against it and in essence try to overcompensate. To, but, you know, so in other words, if I never wanted someone to come into my house and do any harm, I would have a fortress walls around my house and big guns every time somebody comes to my door and people will say, wow, you know, what are you so scared of? That's how we almost have to regard the narcissist. What are you so scared of? So just so now, incredibly, incredibly insecure and incredibly, incredibly like defensive because of that insecurity. Correct. And so and because of that, though, they're not in touch with that insecurity. So if you say, whoa, I get it, you're insecure, they'd get even more angry at you because now they'd have shame about you calling that out. Does that make sense? So there's no getting through to them. So at some level, you could pity someone who's quite narcissistic because they are so vulnerable. But what you can't do is help them see that you know, listen, you're okay. There's nothing wrong. They say, of course, there's nothing wrong with me. Why would you even suggest that? So you can't connect with them. There's really no capacity for closeness, intimacy, or empathy. So to your question, what does this look like in a parent? All of the things I just said, but in a parent, which is actually literally the worst constellation of traits a parent could possibly have. It is, it is almost a guarantee that you're going to do a number on your kids if this is how you are. Right. So what would that behavior look like in a parent? What are some sort of typical behaviors in a narcissistic parent? And how are these different from a parent who's, say, just a little bit stricter or kind of just a jerk, for lack of a better term? Yeah, there's a lot of differences. So let's, you know, so in other words, a there's a couple of different ways a narcissistic parent can go based on the role the child kind of has in the family. 
when you have, when a narcissistic parent sort of has one child as their golden child, in those cases, they might quite overindulge their child. You know, they might give them any experience they want. Look at my champion, look at my princess and almost like overvalidate the child but never really be present with that child's emotional needs. What it really does is it creates a hollow shell of a child, which end up, ends up being a child that often is very achievement oriented, very performance oriented, very focused on their own appearance, recognizing that's the only way they're ever gonna get the regard of the narcissistic parent. Now, not all golden children like being gold children, golden children. Some do, they're like the crown prince, the crown princess. They like being the favorite child, but for some, it actually leaves them feeling rather guilty and isolated from their other siblings. And so for them, you might even see in a golden child, a tendency to rebel or protect their siblings. On the other side, a narcissistic parent can often scapegoat a child, be incredibly cruel and critical, especially if that child doesn't live up to some expectation they have for them. Narcissistic parents tend to live by formulas. They, they in, es in essence, narcissists in general want all people to be conveniences for them. They just want people to get things done for them. They don't really connect with them and kids are no exception. So it's not unusual that when children are at an age where they're more demanding and maybe you can't interact with them as much, the parent is not as interested, but as those children grow into adulthood, interestingly, the parent will sometimes be interested in because now there's a person out in the world who's like an adult and you're an adolescent and might have interests that are yours and in almost as like a co companion sort of thing. But now the child's often too burned out on the parent. So the scapegoat gets the worst of the narcissistic parent. The scapegoat, like I said, gets their criticism, gets their cruelty, gets their manipulation, sometimes might get their abuse, the rage, all of it. They'll often get the worst of it. You know, but, but by and large, what narcissistic parents do is they have absolutely no awareness of their child's emotional world. They, um, they view the child as a convenience or as a nuisance. They like the idea of having a child as a status symbol or saying, hey, I've had my kids. And many times, a lot of them will have kids because they're supposed to have kids. You know, like they feel like there's a societal pressure for them to do that. And so they do, but they're completely not up to the job. They are un often inconsistent with their children, often very unavailable to them. Um, and, when, and the thing with a narcissist, with both adults or their own children is when they want to be with someone, they're incredibly intense. So let's say the child has sort of grown accustomed to the parent never being available, kid is sort of living their life. And then all of a sudden the parent wants to be over-involved in their life and is very intrusive. And if the child gives in and does what the parent wants, like for example, let's say the child is doing athletics in the way that the parent wants and doing the sport that the parent wants. Now the parent will be at every game, sitting at the sideline, da -da -da, almost too intrusive. So narcissistic parents can often have very, very poor boundaries. And so it is, it's a chaotic way to grow up. So there seems to be this theme of like two extremes between like severe detachment or severe like over-involvement yes, and over-investment yes. mm -hmm, the child. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so I actually took to the internet to kind of see what people who don't really have a background in psychology might want to know about mm -hmm, narcissistic mm -hmm. parenting. Mm -hmm. And one of the really common questions that came up is, does having a narcissistic parent make me more likely to become a narcissist? It's a really good question. I actually, I say that 
there's many pathways a person who has a narcissistic parent or parents will take. Now, one of them promises definitely that they would become narcissistic, but that's not the only one. The majority of people who have a narcissistic parent actually go into adulthood with a tremendous amount of anxiety and negative mood symptoms. So they're more likely to devalue themselves. They're more likely to feel worthless, to feel like they're not enough, to be more prone to feelings of guilt, feelings that they've made a mistake, you know, lots of self-doubt. That's the path that they're more likely to take. One subset of kids will also will also see they, they'll be prone to issues around regulation and dysregulation. So they may attempt to um, come, soothe themselves through drugs, alcohol, food, gambling, gaming, anything to sort of distract and numb in the way that because they're so full of these negative mood states. So those two things can happen simultaneously. People who have narcissistic parents also may struggle with anger. Either they do they engage in something we call anger modulation, which is they push their anger down too much or dysregulated anger where they're not able to manage their anger. Some kids who have narcissistic parents go on to become enablers themselves. They'll often sort of um, meet narcissistic parents, I'm sorry, they'll meet narcissists when they're adults. And instead of shutting them down or distancing themselves from those narcissists as adults, they will actually kind of do the same kind of enabling they did with their parent, you know, kind of going along to get along. Some of them will rebel quite significantly. So having that kind of a parent who is so, who's so narcissistic, that child will often rebel just to, you know, almost to, to stick it to the narcissistic parent. It also places right. a person at greater risk for choosing a narcissistic partner as an adult and do a subset go on to become narcissistic? Yes. And if I were to put this as a probability, the probability of ending up narcissistic, if you have one or two narcissistic parents, is higher than if you didn't, if that makes sense. Right. But it's definitely not a guarantee. And I actually think a person's much more likely <clears throat> to become anxious and have those negative mood states. But I also want to go back to something you asked before, which is the difference between strict and a narcissistic parent. And there's a huge difference. A parent can be strict and set boundaries, maybe even excessive boundaries, while also being emotionally available and compassionate. It is possible. So the parent can say, I expect you home at 10 p.m. And if you aren't home by 10 p.m., immediately there's going to be a this or that, or you're not allowed to go to the school thing. However, when the child is at home, the parent can be emotionally responsive. The parent can be engaged. The parent can be consistent. Now, I'm going to be frank with you, Promise. It's pretty rare. Okay, it's pretty rare to find the strict controlling parent who's also very warm, but it can happen. The two right. aren't mutually exclusive, but like, for example, a person who's very strong cultural traditions, it may be that their cultural traditions in the West look very strict, but within the family, it's a very loving, warm space. The teenager or the middle schooler in that space might feel frustrated because they wanna be with their friends, but nobody within the family system is being cruel to them. Again, rare, but possible. Right, yeah, as I'm actually Uganda, so I 100% understand that there is there is still a warm type of strictness and that doesn't always necessarily yes. mm -hmm. mean that you know no. you have a narcissistic parent. Correct. So the the key difference is really in that lack of emotional availability and compassion for the child and empathy and consistency and and all of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, so it's very much in the kind of emotional support department. Is right. Nar correct. Narcissistic okay. parents, as a rule, are very authoritarian. 
and they're very patriarchal. So it's like my way and that's how it is. And there's no discussion about this. So there's very little yielding. So it's very, it's very much that style without, without, without consideration, explanation, anything. It's as though the parent almost is more concerned with their power than they are with what's good for the child's well-being. Absolutely. All right. Um, so the main essence of this topic is actually focusing on how people with narcissistic parents can kind of heal or cope depending mm -hmm. on their circumstances. Mm -hmm. Now, another question that I found really common when I kind of asked around on the internet with people who don't have a strong psychology background was how do we essentially help our narcissistic parents be less narcissistic? And I wanted to touch on this with you a little bit because I found that it's a very I guess we always think about trying to heal the other person rather than healing ourselves first. So I really wanted to know what you thought about the question. I don't think it's going to work. It's a pattern that's really not amenable to change. And so I think that the only way, if anyone even wanted an outside chance of trying to make that happen, that the, the adult child, I always say that one of the hardest things about managing the narcissist in your life is to walk this almost impossible tightrope that has compassion on one side that has not enabling on the other side and that has guilt on the other side it's like this sort of triangle matrix kind of tightrope where you're thinking how the hell am I supposed to balance all this the worst thing that could happen to someone who has a narcissistic parent is that they themselves the, the child loses their sense of compassion and empathy and I always say never lose that because that is you see what happened when you didn't receive that so the idea then really becomes that instead of trying to change the parent, you be the best version of you, but you have to do that with realistic expectations and radical acceptance. By that, I mean the odds of your parents changing are pretty close to zero because they were fully formed adults when you met them. Realistic expectations, meaning there's, you know, you've got to go in knowing that they're not going to say, oh, look what an empathic child I have. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to become empathic too. So you almost have to get yourself ready for all the disappointment that's inherent in this relationship. But it doesn't mean you have to stop being a good person. So if you are somebody who, for example, remembers a certain event each year and you prepare for it and you, you know, family dinner or something, then you go, not because you expect there to be a compliment not because you expect your parent to be reasonable, not because you expect your parent to be compassionate, but because for you, it feels like the right thing to do. So you start, because your whole childhood was a one-sided story, right? That other parent was never there for you. That narcissistic parent was never there for you. It's the same thing in adulthood. So I think that if somebody actually sets out to change their narcissistic parent, they're going to die of exhaustion and disappointment. So I don't think it's a good idea. I think all you can do is live your best life. Don't ever get in the mud with them. Don't be cruel to your narcissistic parent, but you can disconnect and only connect on, in love at a level that works for that parent and then get have those healthy, more intimate, connected connections with other people in your life. But you got to be realistic. And so and right. for some people, it's too painful. They're like, wow, nothing because nothing you say or do is going to lead this parent to change. And if anything, they're just going to become more difficult, more combative and more cruel. And interestingly, parents have a tremendous power. Even when you're 40 years old and this parent is unkind to you, they still have a power over you that another adult wouldn't have. Not even another adult your parents' age. It just wouldn't have the power. And so I tell people, listen, you've got to write a new narrative around this parent. If you decide to keep this parent in your life, you can only do so with realistic expectations and radical acceptance. That's the only way you can move forward. If you have it in your agenda that you're gonna change this parent, you're gonna be extremely disappointed. 
I absolutely agree. And that's actually why I brought it up. I think it is even just a general common misconception, this idea of having somebody who maybe is not the most emotionally available or emotionally damaged. And we feel like because we love and care for that person, the responsibility is kind of on us to heal mm-hmm, and or mm-hmm. change them in spite of like how much they've hurt us. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think it was really important to hear that, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. you really have to focus on your own healing first and mm-hmm. kind of just get on. Um, so in kind of that same thread of healing, now there are obviously situations where people, you know, can't just pack their bags and leave their narcissistic mm-hmm. parent, right? Maybe you live with them, maybe you're still mm-hmm. dependent on them. Maybe you have to take care of them. Um, what would you suggest for people in these situations to kind of cope day to day? How can they go about maybe trying to assert their boundaries or just generally make the situation more manageable in the meantime? So you said an important word when you said boundaries, because this is about boundaries, but boundaries are really hard to set because it's all, it all sounds so good, right? Set a boundary. It's not that simple because many times when a person goes to set a boundary, they often feel quite guilty. You know, like, who am I to set this boundary or, oh, I feel bad or whatever, especially as as a parent gets older or something like that, you start seeing your parent losing their power in the world. But a boundary to me is not just setting a boundary with someone else. I always say boundaries are an inside job. It's something you set inside of you. And that goes back to those original, I know I keep repeating myself, but they're important mantras to hold, managing expectations and radical acceptance. In that, you one, and it's funny, it's work I have to do sometimes with my patients. So I'm like, say it out loud, say it out loud. And I finally have to say it out loud. My parents, my, my parent or parent or parents, they did a terrible job. It's like I had a terrible father. The person has right. to say those words out loud and, and realize that that person having a terrible father is not a statement on them. It's, it happened to them. It's not because of them. It's to say, that's your father not having been able to do the, the, the duty that this person took on. That has nothing to do with you, but people blame themselves for that. And they'll often feel quite guilty because I think it's, it feels shameful. So I think people do need to do a deep dive. In an ideal world, they're in therapy with a therapist who understands narcissism. The problem is that many don't. So there's a sense of, oh, it's your father. My attitude as a therapist, I don't care who this person is. Is. This is emotionally abusive. I don't care if it's your father, your mother, your husband, your wife, or a stranger in the street. This behavior is unacceptable. Now, doesn't mean you're kicking them out. Doesn't mean you're moving out. It really does mean that you foster and cultivate other spaces and relationships in your life where compassion, empathy, whatever your values around human beings are cultivated and are supported and recognize that your parent is an exquisitely limited human being and even though they walk around in the world thinking they're all that they're not they're there's they're not quite right and that's how that has to go you have to you have to approach it that way because then when they behave foolishly you're not as surprised by it you may be saddened you may grieve it you may even grieve not having had a healthy parent but at a minimum at least you don't keep setting yourself every day up to be punched back down Right. So in terms of, it sounds a lot like you're saying we should kind of, you know, focus on trying to develop relationships outside of that too. Because mm-hmm. there is this idea sometimes that a narcissist can really box you in in their world, right? So if you want to cope, the good way to do that is to kind of go out, you know, develop your friendships, develop your relationships, develop relationships with other family members, and make sure that your world does not revolve around this person. 
Correct, because it's easy. It's almost like a gravitational pull. And because many, many children who grow up like this get lost in the trauma bonded space of wanting to win that parent over, to master that parent, to finally convince that parent to love them. No relationship can impact a person like that kind of parental relationship that even in adulthood, a person can waste a lot of time winning that parent over. I try to say, this has nothing to do with you. Nobody wins that parent over. You know, so you're, you're right now, you're you're jousting at windmills you're wasting your time on a futile task right uh, okay so for my next question let's talk about people who kind of have established that hey my parents are narcissists and i don't really know like how to keep a relationship with them so they've essentially decided you know what this relationship's not for me anymore i'm going to absolutely distance myself what are some of the steps that they should take towards kind of healing on their own? Number one, I would say never make a big pronouncement that this is what you're going to do. So many people want to have a lot of ceremony. I'm just letting you know, I'm just letting the family know I'm distancing. Never, ever do that. There should okay. actually be a slow, subtle process where you'll slowly emotionally disconnect. You'll talk about the weather. You'll talk about the leaves, the things, even some of the things we were talking about initially. You'll talk about, can you believe that the neighbor painted their house red? Like you'll talk about very superficial topics. Your parent, especially if you're used to arguing with them, will notice it. So you have to almost, as you emotionally disengage, your parent actually may become more enraged before they start almost getting bored with you. That's number one. Number two, at the same time, to be cultivating relationships, healthy relationships within your family, but be prepared for this. Many narcissistic families are very triangulated. And so what happens is those people are probably struggling with the same guilt you are with the narcissistic parent. And once somebody gets brave enough to pull away, then what happens is some people choose to ally with the narcissist or the narcissist will start spreading gossip and rumors and things like that about you as the person who is so uppity. Oh, now that she's gone to college, she thinks she's all that and she can, and, and people, some people will buy into that rhetoric. So it's hard because you may incur multiple losses at this time. The other is to work out in your head what you want this relationship to look like. Will you go for holidays? Will you go for family dinners? Will you celebrate birthdays? Will, or is this going to be a much more significant distancing? You almost need to make that peace within yourself and sort of stick to it. This is not a popularity contest. There's very little way to get out of this situation without burning some bridges, to which I say that's okay. And I think what the problem is promises a lot of people want to just distance from the narcissist and maintain all the other relationships. It's not possible. It's an interdependent system, like a structure, like a building. You can't just take one brick. One brick can make a lot of other bricks fall. And so if you do this, it's fine. It's probably healthy, but other relationships may end up getting modified or may even disappear because your narcissistic parent probably has lots of enablers in that system. Um, if you do decide to continue to spend some time, even if it's less time with your family, be prepared each time you have an interaction with a narcissistic parent. Maybe even write down conversational topics. Breathe. Don't go for the usual bait. When they start trying to pull an argument out of you, just breathe. Give one word answers. There's something we call gray rock. And gray rocking is when you pretty much become a gray rock. As interesting, right. I mean, uninteresting and boring as a little rock sitting on the ground. And you answer questions like, yes. No, sure. Okay. I didn't know that. 
That's so interesting. And you keep it not like you're, you, you don't want to talk down to them, but you're going to keep your tone of voice a little bit even, and you're not going to personalize. And that's another big piece of this process is as impossible as it is, because this is your parent, don't personalize it. This is their insecurity talking. Their statements about you are often not inaccurate. They never have been, but their insecurity is how they approach everything. You don't need to internalize it. So those are some of the big, big things. And through all of this, I highly advise people that they either be in therapy, online support groups, some system in which they can share the feelings that this kind of system, this being in this kind of family has brought up for them, because promise there can be a lot of shame when a person's from a narcissistic family, because they'll look at other people who continue to have really robust relationships with their parents into adulthood, and they'll feel as though I don't have this, maybe there's something wrong with me, or I come from a shameful space. And so it does really require deeper work and therapy to sort of unpack some of those dynamics. And then finally, I'd say, be careful of what I call the positive enabling police. The people out there saying, oh, come on, it's your mom. Everyone has to have a mom. And that enabling nonsense can play upon guilt, discomfort, and those people don't know what the hell they're talking about. And so you've got to make sure you create some boundaries. Don't post this stuff on social media. Don't take it into unsafe spaces. Right. You have to really protect who you share yes. that information with because it is something not a lot of people understand. You know, if you've had a very normal in quotations correct. parent then it's not going to be something. correct you'll be correct. like but that's your father they, they're gonna love you no matter what that's your mom what do you correct. mean moms always care about you right. and that's just not the case no it's not the, the person case. in the no. situation mm -hmm. so it's definitely about making sure that you protect that information as much as you can correct so right and just for some of people us who are more, I guess, psychology nerds <laughs> in the group, um, what would you say in terms of therapy wise, are there any particular types of therapy that might be more helpful or different types of maybe group support versus individual support that might be more beneficial? I would say that it is, and it's almost impossible to figure this out ahead of time, unless the therapist literally, frankly, advertises as a therapist who understands narcissism and narcissistic abuse. Your therapist has to understand this pattern because if they don't, you run the risk of a therapist saying, oh, it's your mom, oh, it's your dad, family, blah, blah, blah. So you have to choose wisely. It's less about technique and more about the therapist's understanding of this issue. And it's not as though the therapist is gonna enable you, yeah, your parent's a terrible person, but rather the parent, I mean, rather the therapist will say to you, talk to me about this pattern. How is it affecting you now? This sounds unhealthy. And then it would work with you on things like boundaries. So I think it's very much, it's almost a philosophical issue that you have to make sure that some therapists are obsessed with getting families together. Like that's their thing. And probably it's their own personal thing versus really meeting the patient where they're at and helping them find the path forward that's healthiest for them. That can require some shopping around. There are some good closed Facebook groups for survivors of narcissistic abuse. Not all of them are good. It has to be a closed group. It cannot be an open group. In those groups, you can sometimes get good referrals. So you can say, hey, listen, I live in Toronto. I am looking for a therapist, da, 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 da. And some people may be willing to DM you someone they've worked with who actually got it. It's re this really is an underground network because it's not something that people are trained on in school. So it's not like, hey, I went to UCLA and I learned da, da, da. It doesn't work like 
like that. There's no, in fact, I myself am actually currently developing training programs for therapists. So more and more therapists can actually understand these issues to work better with their clients. But until the stuff I'm doing and other people are doing gets lifted to a more, you know, global standardized stage, it really is an underground network of people who are doing this kind of work. And so that's a big, big piece of it. So there's no one model, but it's rather a therapist who gets it. Online support can also be a really, really powerful place for people to at least share what they're going through. Or even if you watch and read what other people are going through, you might feel less alone with this. Right. So rather than necessarily going for like a psychotherapist or a cognitive behavioral therapist, the key is to make sure you look for somebody who says, hey, listen, I specialize in narcissism. Or I get this, I, or you may not even want to use it. The the word is so tricky. A lot of therapists actually kind of get a little bit funny about people using that word, but you might even say, listen, I came from a high conflict antagonistic family. I had a very high conflict antagonistic parent, or I had a very difficult parent and I need help sorting this out because I want to set boundaries with this person. Put the question out there that clearly and see what kind of like, you know, what kind of pushback. Because sometimes what you get from therapists inadvertently, they don't mean to, but they can gaslight their, their patients and saying, well, that is your side of the story. Do you, like, I'm going to give you, I'm going to use you as an example, I promise. Someone say, well, your parents came from Uganda and there was a lot of struggle in that. I'm from India, right? Your parents came from India, Ramani, there was a lot of struggle with that. So what they'll try to do is soften the experience. You do not want that happening. Okay, I do not, and I was trained multiculturally. So I believe that I don't care if your parents came from the fucking Saturn. If they treated you badly, it's not okay, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And I do do understand that that kind of problematic, you know, they're your parents, like you you kind of just go with whatever they do. And- But it goes deeper than promise, especially for parents who've come come from difficult backgrounds. If they've had difficult migration stories, difficult stories of childhood that had to do with trauma or, or civil unrest or anything else happening in their country, therapists will sometimes say, wow, it sounds like they've been through a lot. Trust me, by the time someone's in your therapy office, they have justified and rationalized their parents' difficult backstory about 10 million times, which is why they still stay in with the abuse thinking, well, my mom's been through so much. So no, your mom's been through so much. It's your mom's job to go work on that. You are not her punching bag. That's not an acceptable job for you. Don't say that's all she knows. Right. Okay. So there is this theme kind of in psychology, although the extent to which it applies is obviously sometimes debatable, that whatever you received from your parents, you will then, you know, push on your children if you end up having kids. So another question that came up quite commonly online is kind of, how do I make sure that I don't repeat the cycle and that I don't, you know, like Mm -hmm. end up doing the same thing that's happened to me to my children? What can I do to make sure that I, one, identified in myself early and to yeah I'm good and don't end up pushing back by the time I end up having children myself catch yourself and make sure you're not justifying your parents behavior it is perfectly fine to say I had a father who had very difficult early childhood characterized by abuse and had a very difficult difficult story of migration and because of all that it rendered him completely incapable of being a parent 
see see what I'm doing like backstory but now he was not capable of being a parent and that took a tremendous toll on me and what his, his behavior was unacceptable so what I so you've got to catch yourself and make sure you never justify your parents behavior number one number two recognize what happened to you then number three it is the single solution to everything which is mindfulness 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 it is being aware of every single thing you do with your child. If you've had a narcissistic parent, parenting is going to be more difficult for you because under conditions of stress, you may fall back into some of those patterns. You were never taught how to do this, taking parenting classes, working with a therapist who understands parenting, learning things like how to regulate your own moods. Um, you've got to do the work before you have a kid. If you don't do the work before you have a kid, it's never too late to begin. Mindfulness, mindfulness, mindfulness. You approach your child and you say, okay, how can I be absolutely present with this child. Don't always make it like, how can I be different than my parent? Because then you might overcorrect in the other direction. It's not about being different than your parent. It's about being present with your child. And by making the conversation about that, it really makes a big difference. Right. So my kind of final question to wrap it up, and I understand asking very broadly is sometimes tricky to answer, but what do you think we can do kind of as a society, as a whole to deal with this issue you know of just narcissism in general and how we can um, work towards having a more helpful um, perspective on narcissism in parents and be more helpful for people who are in those situations so i would say that number one part of this is societal and so <clears throat> it's beyond all of us We've got to, as a society, we've got, and I mean everywhere, North America, the world at large, we've got to stop building up societies <coughs> and cultures that foster insecurity in people, right? Because everything we do, inequality, racism, genderism, all of that fosters more and more insecurity. But that's bigger than most of us. I would say that in the world in general is that we've got to get much more comfortable with emotion talking about it, expressing it, supporting it, supporting vulnerability, especially in men. Because what ends up happening is that because men make so many of the rules and they're like emotion is useless and emotion is weak, everyone generalizes that message. And although even though women may sometimes be more allowed to express emotion, we have so devalued it. And that, that ability to express emotion in an appropriate way to express vulnerability without that feeling of shame, which is the core of the narcissistic struggle, if we can teach people that from a very young age, that becomes, a, a, that becomes really important. And then empathy is also critical. We, we should have empathy-centered school curricula from a very early age. The challenge is the child may learn it at school and then go into a home where it's never, ever practiced. I think that we do need to, we need better um, partnerships between families and schools. I think schools often view what's happening as, in the family as none of their business. Of course, it's your business. Why do you think this child is disruptive in your classroom? It's largely a family issue. So don't tell me it's not a family issue. I just think the governments are being sloppy and they're, they don't want to spend the money because that's what it would be ultimately. And so, <clears throat> but I also think having universally accessible mental health care in a standard way as we provide um, physical health care that there should be annual mental health checks, that there should be places for people to talk about this. Mental health should be much more affordable. That, that all of these things could definitely 
help with all of this. But above all that promise, because I think that a lot of the changes I'm arguing for are never going to happen, then that means we have to educate people about narcissism, difficult people, antagonism. We just have to educate people because then at least if it's happening to them, they'll say, oh, this is, it's your bad luck. If this happens to you, it's your bad luck. It really is. And if you have had this bad luck, instead of blaming yourself and wasting an entire life trying to be better, you're like, but it's like, okay, I, I didn't get, I, I did not get what I needed. It's going to be on me to go do that. It sucks for me, but life is never fair. Some people, some people are born rich. Some people are born poor. Some people, you know what I'm saying? Life is not luck, fair. It's all about luck. This is one more example of that, but teach right. people about this pattern instead of this blind devotion to parents that all parents deserve respect. They actually know they don't you know, that's an earned place and you have to be present with your children and you have to be responsible and you have to be on top of your own stuff and you cannot use your history as an excuse for psychologically mistreating your kids. Thank you so much. For My pleasure, your, promise. Thank all you your so input. much. It's been a great conversation. I've been Thank really you. happy to have you here. This has been really valuable. Thank you so much. My pleasure. All right, take care. Bye-bye now. You too. Bye. Bye. You've reached the end of this episode with the Trauma and Mental Health Reports podcast. Thank you for joining us. Connect with us at trauma.blog.yorku.ca. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and newsletter to see our latest content. See you at the next episode.